Hi, I'm Pastor Kyle Carlson, and you're listening to a message from Imprint Community Church in Northeast Baltimore. I pray that this message will encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Visit us online at imprintcommunity.org and worship with us in person on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Seven Oaks Elementary School. Enjoy the message. For the next four Sundays, uh, I thought it would be helpful for us to consider together what a kingdom-first mindset will look like as it relates to our giving. Money is certainly included in that, but it's a bigger topic than just money. Your time, your talents, your resources, your relationships, everything that is in your life could fall under this category. But in some ways, you might be a little nervous for us to be beginning a series on giving or on finances, the subtitle there being your heart, your wallet, and God's kingdom. That might make you a little nervous. Maybe, oh no, it's time for the dreaded money talk, right? Now the pastor's going to tell us all their needs and guilt us into giving money to the church and all that, right? And so uh, people are often distrustful of churches when it comes to money. And in some ways that's right, and it makes sense because we've seen lots of abuses, particularly if you're watching Christian TV channels and you see some preacher in a three-piece suit on a gold-plated, you know, stage, you know, telling you if you just send in more money and have a little more faith that God will fill in the blank, give you your personal yacht or whatever it is that you want. Meanwhile, he's got a mansion that's bigger than anything you've ever seen, and he's purchased his third private jet. Like, we go, okay, so... Maybe the church is not all that trustworthy when it comes to money. I think that's probably a misapplication uh, of that abuse. We go, that's an abuse, and so we, people can tend to kind of shut down. We don't want to talk about money. We don't want the church to talk to me about money. Uh, and so knowing that people are often distrustful of the church when it comes to money, pastors are often fearful of talking to other people about money. And so... You've got churches on one end who are like always talking about money and always like that's kind of their message is like you need more money and we need more money. If you give some money, God will give you more money and it's money, money, money all the time. And then you've got churches on the other side who are so afraid to talk about money because it's going to make people uncomfortable or it's going to make people go, oh, there we were waiting for the other shoe to drop and there it is. There's the money talk, right? So pastors get so afraid to talk to people about money so we just avoid it. We just don't talk about money at all. So there's virtually no guidance or instruction or counsel that the people of God receive from God's word because pastors just won't go there, right? So obviously either one of those is a ditch that we don't want to fall in. We don't want to be distrustful and suspicious and guarded with our money, and the church and leaders and pastors shouldn't be so fearful of addressing money that we just kind of leave that up to, well, just hope that everybody isn't in too bad a mess or whatever, and maybe God will help us pay our bills, and we'll just move on, right? So we got to do better than that. Money seemed important to Jesus. You might know that Jesus talked more about money in the Gospels than heaven and hell combined. All the mentions of heaven, all the mentions of hell combine them. He still talked about money more frequently than that. In fact, the only thing that he talked about more than money is the kingdom of God. I think those two things are very closely related as we'll see as this series unfolds. 
So to be faithful disciples of Jesus, we can't ignore an issue that he so frequently and provocatively addressed, right? If we want to follow Jesus, we've got to listen to his message about our money, about our stuff. Money and how we spend it and how we think of it and how we use what we have is an important barometer of sorts that tells us the sort of temperature of our hearts. In fact, I would suggest that your attitude toward money and possessions and the presence or absence of generosity in your life is one of the clearest indicators of how serious you are about following Jesus at all. That sounds bold, but I think it's exactly what Jesus himself says in the passage that we're going to be looking at today. So let's go ahead and get to the word of God. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, just six chapters in. And these verses in the middle of chapter 6, verses 19 down through 34, is what we will look at for the next four weeks. So this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, probably the most famous single sermon ever preached. Jesus is delivering a message to a a large, probably varied group of disciples and uh, perhaps others who are a little more skeptical of his teachings. And he's essentially giving a message on kingdom ethics, sort of like in the kingdom of God, here's the way that we see the world and the way that we live in relation to his law and Uh, and other things. And so uh, those whose hearts belong to Jesus Christ live upside down lives in the world because they're citizens of a different kingdom, namely the kingdom of God. And so the Sermon on the Mount really kind of expounds on that idea. It begins, of course, with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor for, uh, you know, and blessed are the the meek and blessed are those who are persecuted and all these things. And so the value system of the kingdom of God is totally upside down. So unsurprisingly, Jesus talks about money in this sermon. If he's going to talk about the ethics of this other kingdom that we're citizens of by virtue of our faith in Christ, money makes sense as a topic. The overarching principle, I think, throughout these four uh, Sundays and throughout the passage that we'll look at is the principle of stewardship. And that simply means this, you don't own anything. Everything that you have belongs to God. And he simply entrusted it to you for a time to use in the best way. That's why I've called this series Entrusted. It's getting at that idea that nothing, everything that you have is God's. And you're just a temporary steward of it. Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. There is nothing in the earth that does not directly belong to God. So you are not an owner of anything. I don't care whose name is on the mortgage. He owns it. He owns it all. If you've got a home, if you've got a car, if you've got a family, if you've got time, all of your possessions belong to the Lord and he's entrusted them to us. When I was in second grade, or third, 
I think it was third grade, actually, uh, in Topeka, Kansas. There was this Nintendo game, not like Nintendo 64 or 64 million or whatever we're up to now, just like plain old Nintendo. I know most of you were like, what is that? Anyway, so Nintendo, there was this game that was brand new, and we were, my brother and I were super excited about it. It was called Transylvania II, Simon's Quest. Anybody play that game? No, nobody has a clue. Anyway, we were really excited about that game. And we got this game, I think it was like with birthday money or something, and so we're super excited about it. And I had a friend named Sean at school that I had been talking to about how great this game was. And uh, he was like, you should come over to my house sometime and bring it, and we could play it together. And I was like, okay, that'd be great. And so we arranged, you know, a hangout time where I went over to his house, and I brought Simon's Quest. And we spent probably way too much time playing Simon's Quest. And when I was about to leave, he said, do you mind if I borrowed this game for a little while? And I said, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, you can borrow it for a little bit. I mean, I, you know, I like playing the game, and it's still kind of new, so I'd like to have it back at some point. But yeah, I'll let you borrow it. And so I left his house, and I entrusted my brand new video game to my friend Sean. And I think it was a weekend, and when I came back to school on Monday, Sean wasn't there. And I was a little confused about that. He must be sick. And then I came back on Tuesday, and Sean still was not there. And on Wednesday, when he still wasn't there, I asked my teacher, hey, where's Sean? And she said, he moved. He moved with my game. I entrusted to him my brand new Simon's Quest video game, and he moved away with it. He was a steward of a gift that I had given to him, and he moved away with it. I never saw Sean again. I never saw Simon's Quest again. I'm still just a little bit bitter about that. I still don't trust people named Sean. I'm just kidding. Um, no, so the point is, if God has entrusted us with what is his, how do we avoid taking what's God's and moving away with it, right? I think a lot of Christians accidentally, just thoughtlessly, end up doing something akin to that. We take what God has given us and we hoard it and we hide it and we move away with it. Out of sight, out of mind, not God's business anymore. We're going to read Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. That's what we're going to look at today. So follow along with me. As I read these verses, Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is God's word. So Jesus tells us three basic things about our stuff, about our treasures, so to speak. Number one, earthly treasure doesn't last. Earthly treasure doesn't last. You see that there in 19. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and 
thieves break in and steal. So Jesus cuts against every instinct that we have regarding stuff, right? Our instincts are pile it up, get more. Once you've got it, lock it up, secure it, keep it safe. That's mine. No touchy, right? That's our, that's our instinct. That's our value when it comes to stuff. And Jesus says, don't, do, don't bother. Don't pile up your stuff. Don't get treasures for yourself on earth. Why? Because it won't last. It won't last. He says, moth and rust destroy. That's just sort of the natural process of things eroding and falling apart. The natural end of all things is dust and ashes. If you wait long enough and come back to it years later, it's dust, it's ashes, it's gone. Simon's Quest is probably not even in existence anymore. That game has probably long ago been destroyed. Rex watches this Mighty Machines show where it, talks, you know, it shows all these various different industrial uh, vehicles and things like that. And there's this one episode that he wants to watch over and over that happens at a car junkyard where there's these machines, you know, big heavy machines that, that you know, haul piles of rusty old cars into these big chomping machines that crunch and mash them into like pancakes and then halt, send them off to, uh, to some junkyard somewhere. And I was watching this with him recently and I had this thought to myself, you know, every one of these rusty hunks of metal and plastic used to be somebody's brand new shiny pride and joy, right? Somebody once saw that vehicle and went, this is my car. This is my new toy. And now, however many years later, it's a rusty hunk of junk getting mashed up by a machine for the entertainment of my two-year-old. That's what happens to the stuff that we think is so important. Every shiny new car ends up as a rusty scrap in a junkyard somewhere. Every luxurious mansion eventually becomes a pile of rubble on the ground. Every material possession we stock up or temporal endeavor we pursue will one day come to nothing. Jesus warns us, don't store up just keep piling up treasures on earth because it will not last. It will eventually be destroyed. But then there's another threat for our stuff. There's the natural end of things to just disintegrate over time. But then there's thieves who will break in and steal. So the stuff that you think is safe and secure is no sure bet, right? I got all my stuff in a bank account and I got all this like insurance and all these bonds and whatever else and I have no clue what I'm talking about with all that stuff so I'm clearly already out of my depth. So, but it's safe, it's secure, nobody can touch it. Wanna bet? There's ways, I guarantee you. It's not safe, it's not secure. Thieves break in and steal. Some stuff naturally wears out, other stuff gets forcibly removed from our possession. But the point is, earthly treasures don't last. So if you want a good return on investment, right, when you give something as an investment, you hope for it to earn a yield for you of some, uh, some good, some benefit, some profit even. If you want a good return on investment, it simply makes no sense. 
to invest deeply in earthly possessions and pursuits because you can't take them with you into the kingdom of God. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 7, we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it, right? Or as John Piper says in his book, Desiring God, there are no U-Hauls behind hearses. Nobody's carrying all their stuff with them into eternity. You just can't do it. And so if I spend my life investing and building and piling up stuff for myself, earthly comforts and whatever else and security, when I die, that stuff stays behind and eventually ends up in the junk heap. Brothers and sisters, look at your life and ask yourself, where am I most likely Where am I most prone to invest time, money, and talent in things that don't have eternal value? What are the areas that have a particular appeal for you where you might overspend or overcommit to something that will not yield an eternal reward? In what ways might I be banking on a return on investment that's fleeting, that's temporary, that's even frivolous. Obviously, Jesus is not opposed to possessions at all. He doesn't condemn ownership, even with the understanding that it's just borrowship, right? Because God really owns it. So we take care of our own, we feed our family, we provide shelter, the basics, etc. But we get caught up in the kind of just continuing to add to what the basics are, right? Basics got to have internet. Basics got to have cable. Basics got to have a smartphone. Basics got to have fill in. Got to have a vacation house. It just goes on and on and on, right? What exactly is basic these days? So we just keep piling it on, and Jesus says it, it, it doesn't do you any good. It's not going to have eternal value. It's not going to follow you into the kingdom of God. So don't bother. Don't get distracted. So that's the first thing that he tells us. Earthly treasure doesn't last. The next principle that he gives us is that earthly giving stores up heavenly treasures. Earthly giving stores up heavenly treasures. What we give, how we spend money, time, talent, relationship, resources, How we give has an eternal effect, right? Our giving today in our worldly lives store up heavenly treasures or kind of neglect or or even rob ourselves of heavenly treasures. So if you think about a a kind of an eternal bank account, right, A, a heavenly bank account, And as though there's ways that we can live and give and serve and invest on earth that put things into that heavenly bank account. Well, Jesus tells us what's in that account is totally secure, right? Because how did he describe all the treasures on earth? Moth and rust destroy it. Thieves break in and steal it. What does he say about treasures in heaven? heaven? Look at verse 20. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. What you invest in for eternal benefit and eternal value can't be taken away. It doesn't disintegrate over time, 
and nobody gets to rob it. Nobody gets to take it away from you. The rules that guarantee the eventual loss and destruction of everything that we own don't apply to heaven because God's kingdom is eternal. What we invest in for the kingdom yields a good return for eternity. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, Peter tells us that Jesus has given us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That, that's the inheritance that's coming. And, and everything that we do in this earthly life to invest in that inheritance sort of expands the inheritance a bit. It's kind of an interesting thing to think about. Jesus motivates Christian giving and generosity with the promise of reward. We usually have this idea that like it's unholy to think about being rewarded for our obedience, right? Well, no, you give just for the sheer good of it or whatever. But Jesus doesn't hesitate to, to motivate generosity and giving by the promise of a future reward, by the promise of an inheritance in heaven that doesn't go away, that can't be defiled, that can't be uh, uh, contaminated in any way. So kingdom first giving, we put the kingdom of God first, and we'll see more about what that means as we go through these few weeks together. Kingdom first giving stores up heavenly treasures. That is a ba- that's a principle of the kingdom of God. That is a principle of how Jesus intends for us to live and to use the resources that he's entrusted to us to build up heavenly treasures. He says things similar to that in other places. In Luke 16, verse 9, he says, Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Unrighteous wealth, I think, is just earthly goods, earthly money. In other words, use your earthly possessions for the good of others, and it will pay dividends in eternity, in relationships, in blessing, Right, A little bit undefined there, but they'll welcome you into eternal dwellings because you've used earthly possessions to bless others, to benefit others. In Luke 6, 38, he says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He's talking about the eternal benefits, the eternal reward of current faithfulness, of current generosity, of present-day investment in eternity. Investments for the kingdom of God yield eternal rewards. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes very powerful words about how we relate to money. And he specifically addresses in these verses those who are rich in this present age, which, by the way, on a global scale, probably most of us in the room don't feel rich. But if you look across the world, ain't none of us in poverty, right? That's just kind of a basic scale situation. So I don't think this is inapplicable to us. In 1 Timothy 6, verses 17, he says, 
as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, that is to be puffed up and think highly of myself, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, right? Because it can be destroyed, it can be stolen. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So don't set your hope on the riches of stuff. Set your hope on God. Trust him to provide. And then take your riches and bless others with them. Be ready to share. Do good to others. And in doing that, you are storing up treasure for yourself in heaven. Which is exactly what Jesus tells us we're doing. Store up treasures for yourselves in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. He's talking about more than just money. He's talking about our attitudes and our relationships and our families and our time and our gifts and abilities. We need to think of our whole lives as something that's been entrusted to us by God for the good of others, for the serving of God, which yields eternal results. Your kingdom-first gifts and investments will travel with you into eternity. There's no U-Hauls behind hearses, but when you invest in the kingdom of God, the treasures that you store up go on ahead and are waiting for you. That's the way that this works. When you buy lunch for a homeless guy and have a conversation with him, when you continue faithfully supporting that missionary in South America, even when the victories she reports from her ministry are few and small, when you drop that check in the offering plate at church or set up that recurring donation online, even though you know it means you might have to cancel your cable service, when you get up a little earlier or go to bed a little later so that you can prayer walk with a friend or attend a Bible study or serve at a food drive, right? Investments like this have an impact on lives and souls that may or may not make themselves plain to us until heaven. You might not know until we're on the other side. And then the Lord shows us, here are the results of your faithful, fruitful, kingdom-first giving. Earthly giving stores up heavenly treasures. And so kind of following out of that, right? Earthly treasures don't last. Earthly giving stores up heavenly treasures. Jesus then gives us this principle, which is extremely helpful in verse 21. Your heart follows your treasure. What he says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think this reflects two truths. There's kind of two angles from which to view this statement, this principle. Number one is where I'm currently investing my money and time and energy and resources, etc., reveals what is most important to me. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be, means if you can locate where the treasure is piling up, I can tell you that's what he thinks is important. That's what she values, right? 
That's where she's functionally worshiping. If the monthly bill for my entertainment package is more than my regular contributions to the church, that says something about what I value. If I spend more time scrolling Facebook, watching the news, or playing games on my phone than I spend listening to a friend in need or serving a neighbor, that says something about what I value. So our investment patterns reveal our value system. And that's one way to see this principle. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, what you're investing in reveals what you value. But I also think the other angle to look at it is this. If I want to develop kingdom priorities, I need to invest in kingdom enterprises. I think Jesus gives us a little bit of a blueprint here for growing as kingdom-first disciples. Start pouring your money, time, and resources into kingdom work and watch your interest and passion for God's kingdom grow and deepen. The, simple, the, the simplest analogy here would be like investing in some kind of stock. Let's say if I, put, if I buy a bunch of stock in Apple, suddenly I'm going to be real interested in how Apple's doing in the market. Whereas now, I'd flip right by news articles about how it's, what's going on and what its sales are like and all that because I don't care. But if I've invested in it, suddenly I'm interested. Suddenly, I'm paying attention. I'm going to stop at those articles or I'm going to buy investment magazines and read up on how Apple's doing, right? Because where my treasure went, my heart followed, right? So in some way, our hearts follow our investments. Our hearts follow our giving, and here's the real kicker of all of this. Here's the real bottom line. Jesus isn't interested in your money. He doesn't need it. He owns everything, right? Everything you have, he gave to you. Like, he's just letting you borrow it. So he's not in need. He's not interested in your money. He wants your heart, right? That's what it comes down to. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And that shouldn't surprise us at all. That's what Jesus is really interested in. Where is my heart? Is it his or not? Is it in the kingdom or is it trapped in earthly, temporal pursuits? So just practically speaking, if you want to see your love for Jesus grow, your desire for his kingdom increase, and your energy in serving him and others expand, then start redirecting your money and time toward kingdom investments. Sometimes it's as simple as that decision. I am deciding to spend here instead of here. I am deciding to commit to this thing instead of that thing. And once you make the decision, which may just feel like a sort of a raw discipline on the front end, you might find that your heart starts to grow in that direction, that you start to care more about the thing where you're investing your time and your money and your resources. Build a new relationship with an unbeliever in your neighborhood. Give a little more to the church each month. Take a next step toward discipleship and accountability with a brother or sister in Christ. Cancel your cable package and spend the savings on helping that single mom neighbor who has trouble with her rent all the time. Right? There are all kinds of ways. You can get creative about how to do this, about how to prioritize kingdom giving and kingdom 
enterprises over building our own kingdom and earthly treasures. Your heart follows your treasure, right? So the, the, the wrap-up to all of this, there, there's nothing you can invest in, in kingdom work in this life that won't return to you in joy and blessing in the next. So what feels costly right now, on the other side, you're going to look back and be glad that you made that investment because it will yield joy and blessing in the next life. And it's all his anyway, right? You don't own anything, your house, your car, your paycheck, your family, your time, your heartbeat. It's all his, everything you've got. And Jesus isn't demanding anything of us that he hasn't already done himself. In fact, I think Jesus is the very best example of someone who gave up everything for the sake of an eternal dividend. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He invested everything that he had in a kingdom purpose, namely rescuing broken rebels and sinners like us and inviting them, gathering them into his family so that we could share that eternal kingdom with him. So where he reigns and sits at the right hand of the throne of God, he says, I want some fellow rulers in my eternal kingdom. And Jesus endured and gave up and invested everything that he had for that purpose, to gather a people for himself so that he might enjoy the eternal rewards of the kingdom of God and the sharing in the kingdom that we get to participate. Friends, it is because Jesus endured the penalty for our sins on the cross that we can look at a mountain of treasure on earth and say, nothing. It is because he suffered for us and rose again from the grave that we can know the joy and hope of eternal life in his forever kingdom. He purchased that for us. And that confidence, the confidence of the kingdom that's to come, that he's purchased for us and invited us into by his grace, infuses our time and our money and our very lives with purpose and significance and leads us gladly on the road of sacrifice which is not what the world will tell you. But that's the way of Jesus. It's the way of the cross. I'm going to conclude with a quote from Randy Alcorn. He has a great little book called The Treasure Principle. He says this, God wants your heart. He isn't looking just for donors for his kingdom, those who stand outside the cause and dispassionately consider acts of philanthropy. He's looking for disciples immersed in the causes they give to. He wants people so filled with a vision for eternity that they wouldn't dream of not investing their money, time, and prayers where they will matter most. Let's pray together.